Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment. It is good to be back. Day one of the 2023 Australian Open is now officially upon us. What a delight to have Grand Slam tennis so early in the 2023 season. And of course, with the return of Major Tennis comes the return of the Ace of the Day segment here on this show. A quick reminder to all of you listeners of what we will be doing here each and every day throughout the year's first major is offering picks for how I see some of the day's singles matches unfolding. Now, I will disclose here at the start of this segment, there will be a gambling slant to this show over the course of the next two weeks, and I'm aware that's not for every tennis fan. If this isn't something you want to participate in over the course of the next two weeks, I can understand that. I will say we're going to be making a ton of predictions, and it's always fun to make picks, particularly when there's so much high-level tennis going on within the tennis world. Also, when I say a gambling slant, it means I'm going to be referring to the odds offered by our dear friends at DraftKings. I'll be referring to things like money lines, game spreads, over-unders. I use all of those as a mechanism to offer my predictions to all of you listeners. Again, if you don't actually want to place any action on any of these matches, you just want to enjoy them as a casual fan, I have no qualms with you doing that. I do, though, want to try and tap into my expertise. God knows I like to think I watch as much tennis as just about anyone out there. And look, if I'm going to be offering predictions, I might as well put my money where my mouth is. And look, all of us know Novak Djokovic and the Daniil Medvedevs of the world, the Arena Sabalenkas, they will all be significant favorites in their early round matches. You're not going to get a ton of value in selecting those matches. I don't think I'm going to be offering that much new information in previewing those matches to all of you listeners. So again, by using our dear friends at DraftKings, the odds, the propositions they offer to those who are interested in those sorts of things, it provides a fun litmus test to what the population at large, the tennis populace, I should say, thinks about any given match, who the favorite is expected to be, what matches they anticipate will, won't be close. Again, I like to use the DraftKings odds as a mechanism, as a barometer for expectations for each and every match, and then I can use them to offer predictions to all of you listeners. So a little bit of a preview of what you can expect on this Ace of the Day segment over the course of the next two weeks. Again, I'm going to be offering a ton of picks as well, so those of you who are interested perhaps in benefiting from your wealth of tennis knowledge, putting a little money in your pocket while you're enjoying all of the tennis as it unfolds over the next two weeks. Maybe this segment is for you. And again, even if you're not actually wagering on the matches, I think you will still be enticed by the predictions previewing we do here on this segment over the next two weeks. So that's your reminder of what this ace of the day segment is. I will do my best to keep these under 30 minutes. I anticipate this first one and early on in the event when there are so many matches and we're talking about more matches we're offering more picks early in the event given again there are just more matches to choose from they may go on the longer side the episodes will get shorter as we go along of course if you're looking for recaps of every day's play the mini break podcast feed is the place for you hopefully we'll have a fun slew of guests throughout the course of the next two weeks to talk about all the action as it unfolds in australia of course all that content available over on our website crackrackets.com with that said You did not come here to hear any plugs. You came here to hear my thoughts, my picks for day one of the 2023 Australian.
Australian Open. I've got eight picks here on day number one. Five relating to day one matches, three futures for all of you listeners as well. So it's a hot start. We're getting right to it. Here are my picks for Australian Open day one, my GSP aces of the day. Let's start with an American who, of course, was a finalist in the women's singles competition last year. I think there's a lot of value in Danielle Collins, who, for some reason, is down to a minus 250 favorite in her first round match against Anna Kalinskaya. Now, Kalinskaya is a real talent. There's no denying that. You look for Kalinskaya, who, of course, in the run-up to this 2023 Australian Open, did compete in Adelaide. She lost a tight match to Belinda Bencic in the round of 16 after coming through qualifying wins over Ali Risk, Alexandra Sasnovich, and Yelena Ostapenko. She's played well, the 24-year-old from Russia. Currently 64 in the rankings, reached a career high of number 51 last season. You look for Kalinskaya. She has had some success against top 50 players over the last 52 weeks. She's 12-10 and 10 overall, 28-21 and 21 in her last 52 weeks, 12-10 and 10 against top 50 players. She's 21-30 and 30 in her career against the top 50, though. 1-6 when she's played top 50 players at the majors. You want to look at her record against top 20 players in her career, Kalinskaya. 6-12 overall. Now, just beat a top 20 player in Ostapenko in Adelaide. I don't know if you want to count Ostapenko as in top 20 form in that match. But, you know, again, has had some success when taking on elite talent. That said, just, uh, excuse me, Danielle Collins, much like Jessica Pagula, who was on my mind there, has made a living over these past two and a half years beating just about everyone she's supposed to beat, particularly when it comes to hard courts. You look for Danielle Collins, who is the 13th seed here at the Australian Open this year. Kalinskaya, 63-29. and 29 overall since January 2021. So she's won 69% of her matches, or I think it's actually 68.47, so technically 68% of her matches over a two-and-a-half-year spread, but or two years and a month. But come on, you win over two-thirds of your matches for over two years. You are unequivocally a top 15 player, as Collins has been for much of that stretch of time. You look for Collins in particular, again, 63 and 29 overall. She's 40 and 11 when playing players ranked outside the top 50, 40 and 11 overall against those players, winning about 80% of those matches, 27 and 5 when those matches happen on hard courts. She's 7 and 0 at the slams against players ranked outside the top 50 over the past two years, and she hasn't dropped a set in any of those seven matches. So when Danielle Collins is locked in, her weapons, simply put, they overwhelm players who aren't inside the top 50, don't have an elite skill to counter with to take time away from Collins. And look, Collins guy is pretty solid overall. Again, the 24-year-old Russian has established herself as a top 75 player. You look for her last season, was able to break serve 30, uh, 32% of the time, which is below the top 50 average, but pretty solid. You know, was able to hold serve 67.9% of the time, again, below a top the average of a top 50 player, but still fairly solid. She's pretty solid at everything. Not great at anything, but pretty well-rounded, pretty good mover. She's faced power tennis before three matches against Belinda Bencic over her last six weeks. Again, beat Ostapenko in Adelaide as well. 
But I don't know what she's going to do to take time away from Danielle Collins. And I watched a lot of Danielle Collins in her matches so far uh, here in 2023. Collins wins over Pliskova. Teichman before three-set loss to Kudermatova in the second week in Adelaide. She also played a really fun three-set match against Rubakina in week number one. Collins was moving the ball extraordinarily well around the court. She was striking the return so cleanly, hitting through the backhand, fluidly moving about as well as Danielle Collins, 29 years old, has moved in her career. I thought she served pretty well also. You look at the first serve percentages, they were a little concerning, 57, 60, 49, and 52, but I thought she placed her first serves really well, and she was having a lot of success defending her second serve, winning over 50% of her second serve points in three of the four matches. If you can't beat Danielle Collins and attack her behind that Collins second serve, you're not going to have a ton of success against her. And again, I don't think Kalinskaya has an overwhelming weapon the way a Matova does, the way a Rabakina does to get Collins off center. Again, I test-wise, not only is she the defending finalist, I thought she played well the first two weeks of the year. She's a 65.1% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. Again, minus 250 money line, which is smack dab in the parlay zone. Maybe you feel more comfortable doing that. Given the records, again, Collins 40-11 and 11 versus players ranked outside the top 50, 7-0 and 0 at slams, hasn't dropped a set in the past two years. I'm going to take Collins to cruise in this match. You can get a minus 3.5 game spread, which means Collins has to win 6-4, 6-4 or better. One break of serve in each set, differentiating between the two. And by the way, Collins last year wasn't one of the nine women to finish top 25 in both hold and break percentage, but she finished 27th in hold percentage. So she was damn close. I think Collins cruises. I think she's better at everything except for the movement, but she's better at the tennis and that's what matters. And so, I, I again, I test-wise, I don't understand this line. And there's been some late money on Collins' guy. It's actually pushed the line. I think Collins was minus 275 to open. She's down to minus 250. So maybe there's something I don't know. But she looked healthy. She looked fit. She played really well in her first two weeks. So give me Danielle Collins, minus three and a half games over Kalinskaya. We're going to be conservative in all of our opening picks here for our aces of the day. We're going to start out just a quarter of a unit on all of them. We're going to have a lot of picks, so hopefully the volume makes up for the lack of a unit count. Now, again, when I say a quarter of a unit, maybe just because it's the first episode, let's re-explain this here to start the year. A full unit, it is whatever you're comfortable wagering. For some people, they bet $5 on things. They wager $10 on things. More risky people go 100 a 1000 If you're betting more than $1,000, you're doing this professionally, and maybe you're not listening to this show. Um, the point is, when I say a quarter of a unit, whatever you typically wager, if it's $10, wager 250 on all of them. Or if it's $100, wager 25 bucks. That's probably the cleanest way to do that. Uh, anyways, I'm going quarter of a unit on all of these wagers. I'm going Danielle Collins minus three and a half games. It's minus 125 odds. I mean, for every dollar you bet, or excuse me, you have to bet $1.25 to win a dollar in return. Like, that feels like a pretty good wager. I would bet What's it? I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> I was going to make a gas station equation, uh, a gas station equivalent and say going to the gas station now you buy two king size candy bars usually it's two for three dollars again like I would bet two king size candy bars that Danielle Collins is going to win this match and if I don't win I don't get them this week I feel pretty confident that Collins is going to get the job done here I think from a matchup perspective again her weapons yes Collins guy is a good athlete she's going to be able to absorb redirect some of the pace but 
I think Collins is going to be swinging freely on the return of serve. I thought Benchich had a lot of success on the return against Kalinskaya, and Collins is a much better returner than Belinda Benchich is. So I just think Collins is going to be in front from the start. I think minus three and a half games, minus 250 is too light. I think Collins could do some damage at this 2023 Australian Open as she is. Again, the defending finalist. She's made a semifinal here as well. That's not a hot take. Give me Collins, minus three and a half games over Kalinskaya, minus 125, quarter of a unit to win 0.2 in return. That's ace of the day number one. Ace of the day number two, Let's stick with the Americans. God knows I talk a lot about American tennis here at Crack Rackets. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is here in round number one. If you think I've got a lot of Americans picked on day number one, wait till day number two's aces, which will come out a little bit later tonight. And by the way, quick tangent, release schedule for these podcasts. This one's coming out much later than they'll typically be. I'm going to try and release them the night before so you have all day to listen to it, all day to make up your mind if you want to take any picks and then... So be on the lookout, you know, day two's picks will be out here tonight as day one's plays getting underway, day three's picks out as day two's getting underway, et cetera, et cetera. We'll try to be 24 hours ahead in releasing these podcasts. That said, it's not a 24 hours ahead pick. It's actually a pick that takes me back five, six years in time to when this podcast started and you know, Ernesto Escobedo was unequivocally one of the rising American next-gen stars. Escobedo, who now somehow is, what, 26 years old? Uh, and by the way, Ernesto Escobedo now representing Mexico. Congratulations to him. Escobedo did not become the guy I thought he was going to be five years ago when you just watched the weapons of Escobedo and you said to yourself, yep, this guy hits a top 50 ball, how explosive it is, the forehand, the backhand, when he has time to swing through the ground strokes, when he is landing his first serve. The weapons are unequivocally top 50 good. But look, a combination of injuries, a combination of his lack of fluidity, that yes, when he's on his front foot, he looks that good, but there are a lot of players who can get him off his front foot, and Ernesto's never been the best mover. Ernesto hasn't gotten back to the top 100 since cracking it back in 2017. That said, boy, was he excellent in qualifying, not dropping a set, wins over the 23rd seed, Luca Nardi, 11th seed, Pavel Kotov, Rio Noguchi. He also beats in straight sets. He's broken just twice in the six sets of tennis. He plays in qualifying. Ernesto looks fit. He looks fluid. He looks healthy. And again, there's never been any question about Ernesto Escobedo, his ability to strike the tennis ball cleanly, his ability to play on his front foot, be the aggressor, regardless of what the opponent wants to do. It's not the first time we've seen Ernesto Escobedo in a slam main draw either. You look for Ernesto in his career now. Again, Ernesto, 26 years old, at the slams in his career. It's his first main draw uh, at a slam since Australia last year where he came through, made the final round of qualifying, ultimately got in as a lucky loser. He won a match at the 2021 U.S. Open, won a match at the 2020 U.S. Open, won a match coming through qualifying at the 2017 Australian Open as well. All of his slam success has come on hard courts, and all of it's come in first round of matches as well. I think he has a very advantageous draw as he as he is going to take on Taro Daniel, the world number ninety five. Now, the twenty nine year old Daniel had was very streaky throughout the course of last season. You look for Taro Daniel, who overall forty one and thirty. In his last 52 weeks, he was 43 and 29 last season, had a ton of success 
uh, in qualifying rounds as you look for Daniel was able to get through qualifying I think at, at what like seven different ATP events throughout the course of the year you look for Taro Daniel last season though in terms of quarterfinals made on the year he made five total three of them at the challenger level you look for Escobedo last season uh, in terms of total quarterfinals made on the year Escobedo uh, made I believe it was yeah seven quarterfinals all of them at the challenger level so again not too dissimilar between the two results there you look for Taro Daniel last season as he took on top 100 players Taro Daniel struggled you know 13 and 23 overall against the top 100 last season it's not a sure thing like I do think Escobedo has the bigger weapons Daniel's the better mover Daniel's the better defender the serves a wash. Daniel puts more returns in play. Escobedo has more pop when he lands the return. He's a little bit more aggressive on that return of serve, though. I think it's going to be a really good match. I would point to the fact that you look for Escobedo, who has played four matches here to kick off this 2023 season and has had the chance to get accustomed to these Australian Open conditions. You look for Daniel, beat Edward Winter, a wild card first round qualifying Adelaide, then lost 7-6 in the third to Sun Wukwan, lost 6-3 in the third first round qualifying in Auckland to Ajit Rai, the wild card from New Zealand. Escobedo's had the better start to the season. And with all things equal, give me the guy with more momentum. Give me the guy with the bigger uh, weapons. Give me Ernesto Escobedo to take this match. Escobedo plus 140 money line underdog. You look according to Tennis Abstract. Escobedo only a 16.9% chance according to Tennis Abstract. So what does it mean when the singles forecast, which looks at your past results, your recent form versus uh, the betting markets, which are more what the people think and, you know, what recent form suggests, I suppose, is more heavily weighted in the current betting line. Recent form suggests Ernesto Escobedo is going to make this match a lot closer than the numbers would indicate. And my eyes say Ernesto's played better to start this season. My eyes say Ernesto's healthy. He's confident right now after those three qualifying wins and the quick conditions, the hot conditions in Australia. I think they benefit the guy who spent a lot of his time in Southern California, in Mexico training Give me Ernesto Escobedo to knock off Taro Daniel. Pull off the upset. I'll put it again, another quarter of a unit on it, plus 140 odds, so we win 0.35 in return. Again, Ernesto hasn't had a ton of slam success in his career, but I think this is where he gets things going on the right track. Give me Ernesto Escobedo to knock off Taro Daniel in round number one. That's ace of the day number two. Ace of the day number three coming via E Bing Wu. Now, listeners of the Mini Break Podcast, listeners of our Crack Racket shows know my fondness for the 23-year-old from China, former junior U.S. Open champion, had so much success as a teenager, then gets extraordinarily injured and doesn't play a match between March 2019 and January of last year. And then he goes 37-7. and Throughout the course of last season, Ibing Wu ultimately into four challenger finals. He wins three challenger titles. He ascends up to number 113 in the rankings. He's currently sitting at 116. Now, we've only seen Wu play two matches so far this year. He beats Ugo Umber, then loses 7-5 in the third to an Alexi Popperin, who I think goes on to make the quarterfinals of that Adelaide one event and big serve, big forehand his way uh, into some really good results early on in the season. 
Ebing's an underdog tomorrow as he takes, or excuse me, just a narrow favorite tomorrow as he takes on Quarantine Mute of France. And obviously Mute had a really good ending to last season. You look for Mute, who was able to win a challenger in Poland. He was able to win another challenger in Lyon or in the summer. And uh, certainly the big run to the U.S. Open round of 16, they got Mute back into the top 75. He's currently sitting at a career high of number 51 in the in the rankings. I mean, look, the 23-year-old Mute, the lefty, he's physical, moves the ball well around the court. He's a good athlete. He makes you work for it. But I just don't know what he's going to do to hurt Ebing Wu consistently. And again, when Ebing Wu's been healthy, he's unequivocally been a top 50 player. You look right now, according to the Tennis Abstract ELO ratings, which unlike the ATP rankings factor in all of your results, not just the last 52 weeks, but so much more. And of course, factor in um, factor in your strength of schedule as opposed to just round, what round you're beating someone and you know where you're at. Quarantine Mute currently number 46, Ebing Wu number 62, according to the Tennis Abstract ELO range, which I think is a more accurate barometer of the level with which each of them are playing right now. But, I mean, again, when I look at Quarantine Mute, who is playing his very first match of the season here in Australia, I think it's a really tough ask against a guy in Ebing Wu who is a little bit more match tough. I know it's only two matches, but those sorts of things do matter when all else is equal. I think Ebing Wu is rock solid forehand, backhand wing. I think he'll match up really well with the lefty, given how well he drives through his backhand. And look, it's not the biggest sample size for Ebing Wu, but you look for Ebing Wu overall in his career against left-handed players. Wu 7-6 and six overall, but got wins last season over Shelton, over Mute, who he beat 6-2 and two in U.S. Open qualifying, which, by the way, is another thing I factor into this, is that even prior to Quarantine Mute making the round of 16 last year at the U.S. Open, he lost to Ebing Wu in qualifying, and I feel like it's worth mentioning Ebing Wu, for what it's worth, made the third round of the U.S. Open last year, so it's not as though he didn't have success in New York as well. I just don't think Mute has the discipline to last with Ebing Wu over the course of a three out of five set match. And again, first match of the season, I think Wu's probably going to be more prepared, slightly more calloused up than the inaugural match for Mute. I think Ebing Wu takes this one. You look according to the tennis abstract singles forecast right now, Ebing Wu uh, currently a 44.9% underdog. That said, according to our dear friends at DraftKings, Ebing Wu now up to a minus 165 favorite. That's why, again, he's worked his way up as the odds have progressed. He was at minus 120 earlier in the week. I also think the fact that you can get him at minus two and a half games in a three out of five set match, you know, again, to explain the game spread, if I beat you 7-6-7-6-7-6, I win by three games. And if I'm taking two and a half games spread, it means I think he's going to do that or better. I think Ebing Wu does win this match in straight sets. And if he wins in straight sets, he's covering two and a half games. Give me Ebing Wu, minus two and a half over Mute, minus 130 odds. So you're laying a little juice, but 0.25 units to win 0.19 in return. I will take Ebing Wu to build off of what he did last season. Now, again, Mute, the more experienced player uh, at slam events, but I just, again, I think Ebing Wu makes his top 100 debut after beating Quarantine Mute and making a nice little run here at the 2023 Australian Open. So give me Wu, minus two and a half games over Mute. That's ace of the day number three. 
Ace of the day number four. Uh, again, we're rolling here. Welcome to the ace of the day segment, folks. And especially early on in this event when you've got a lot of opportunities, why not make a ton of picks? I'll go a little bit more quickly through these picks now. Here's a parlay for you. Give me Madison Keys and Elena Rabakina to each cover minus three and a half game spreads and advance to round number two of this event. You look for Rabakina, she's a minus three and a half game favorite, taking on last week's finalist in Hobart, Elisabetta Cochiaretto, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Rabakina, a 75.5% favorite over uh, Cochiaretto. And look, getting to watch a lot of Cochiaretto last week. You know, Cochiretto played well. There is certainly, Cochiretto was able to, you know, she's got weapons, the 21-year-old Italian, who is going to be up to a new career-high rankings inside the top 60 after making her first tour-level final. She has weapons, but she wasn't pushed by someone else with significant weapons in the way that Rabakina has in her run in Hobart this past weekend. Look, for her career, Elisabetta Cochiretto, 8-13 against top 50 opponents. You look against the top 20, Cochiretto, 0-4. And, and I do think when you're making the comparison for Rabakina, you discuss her in the context of a player, of a, someone with top 20, if not top 10, caliber weaponry. Obviously, she's a top 5 server on the WTA Tour. I just think she has the sort of weaponry that will disrupt the rhythm of Cochiaretto more than vice versa. Because yes, Cochiaretto snaps the ball huge off the baseline, but that's only if she has time to set her feet. And the one thing Elena Rabakina never allows is time to set your feet. Now, Elena Rabakina will give you free points. She will miss three returns consecutively trying to play big through the court. She will offer up a few plus one unforced errors. And Coach Yoretta will also certainly earn some free points as well. She just has that sort of overwhelming power, really strong first step. But when I look at Rabakina, 24 and 10 is Rabakina since the start of 2020 at the Slams. 24 and 10. She's lost one first round match. Now it was at the U.S. Open against Clara Burrell. But I'm looking for a big back, uh, bounce back from Rabakina, who I thought looked pretty good at, in her first two uh, warm-up events. The three-set win over Collins before a three-set tight loss against an informed Marta Kostyuk. She lost three and five to Kvitova, but was only broken once per set. Like, again, I think Rabakina beats Cochiretto, who you wonder how much gas she has left in the tank coming off of that Hobart final played a couple of days ago. I'll take Rabakina minus three and a half games. I'll take her to win the match in straight sets. Uh, you look for her again. I mentioned that 24 and 10 record. Uh, I mentioned the fact that she's 10 and one in a, the 11 first round she's played at the slams of those 10 victories, nine of them, excuse me, eight of the 10 have come in straight sets. The three setters, Vera Zivanareva, Australian open 2021 and Zarina Diaz in, uh, Australian Open 2022, but for what it's worth, she would have covered a three and a half game spread in that Zarina Diaz match. She would have not have against Vanareva. So she would have covered this spread in 10 of the 11 first round matches that she's played over her last 11 slams. Give me Rabakina minus three and a half games over Cochiaretto. Let's pair that with Madison Keys over Anna Blinkova. Again, Blinkova coming off of a pretty good start in Hobart, makes the semifinals there, wins over Bozhkova, Putinseva, Udvardi. Blinkova hits the ball big. You know, again, if you leave a ball in the center, she's going to go after it. She's going to be able to create opportunities to play aggressive tennis with her first serve. She's very strong as well, able to absorb pace fairly well. But again, if you can get her on the move, she she's not as comfortable 
but not as fluid as an athlete in those outer thirds. And neither is Madison Keys, but I'll take Madison Keys' power over Blinkova's power. And let's not forget, Madison Keys over her last two years now is 16-2 and two in Australia. 16-2. and two. Semifinals at the Australian Open last year. She also won a title in Adelaide. She goes 5-0 and and wins over Bochkova, Niemeyer, Lynette, Bronzetti, and Swan at the United Cup. Dropped just one set in those five matches. She looked fit. She was striking the ball comfortably. And the biggest thing for Keys is, is she beating who she's supposed to beat? Because with every, you know, again, when she's doing that, you know with her weapons, she can be a factor in the big matches. She's too consistent at the slams and making second weeks over the years. We just know she brings her best to the big events. Well, she seems to have brought her best. And again, I just think her best is unequivocally better than Blinkova's. I think that Keys has the sort of game as well with the power that she plays with that, again, it will prevent Blinkova from getting into her bag of tricks. You look for Keys, she's a 78.5% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, Rabakina, 75.5%. Let's parlay each of them together to get comfortable straight set wins to kick off their event. You throw Keys minus three and a half games, which is minus 185 on its own. You parlay that with Rabakina minus three and a half games, which is minus 145 on its own. You get that to plus 160 odds. That sounds like a winner to me, folks. I feel pretty good in backing the two power players in Keys and Rabakina. Rabakina looking to bounce back from a disappointing U.S. Open loss. Keys capitalizing on her strong United Cup form. Again, each of these players, Blinkova, Cochiaretto, playing a ton of matches last week. You wonder how that wears on their bodies as they have to face down the tremendous power of their opponents. I feel good backing these keys, in a, uh, backing these keys, excuse me, backing these seeds in a little money line parlay, uh, excuse me, in a little game spread parlay. Let's take keys minus three and a half games, Rabakina minus three and a half games, plus 160.25 units to win point four overall. That's ace of the day number four. Our final ace of the day is a parlay over on the men's side. Very similar vein. I'm feeling very good about Francis Tiafo coming out of United Cup. Tiafo, yes, again, not the toughest strength of schedule, but 5-0 and is 5-0. and And I know he was down in the second set before Thomas Mychak, uh retired, but down 4-2 there. And then, you know, again, I know Musetti retires after dropping the first set 6-2, but a good three-set win over Dan Evans, good straight set wins over Kasper Zhuk, Oscar Ota for Tiafo during that United Cup run. He's beating who he's supposed to beat over the course of the last year and a half, and you look for Tiafo in 2022, 35 and 25 overall, but the big number for me, 16 and 7 in first matches, and you know, he lost two first round matches to start the season, so after the month of January, he goes 16 and 5 overall, you look for him last year, he won first round matches in all four slams that he played as well, and you know, again, you look for Tiafo in that 35 and uh, 25 record overall last season against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He was 22 and 9 overall throughout the course of last year. I just think, look, Daniel Altmaier is a shot maker. He hits the serve, he hits the forehand extraordinarily cleanly. You think you have him beat on the one-handed backhand. He's going to sneak a couple winners down the line by you. I just don't think he can put cons- enough consistent pressure on Tiafo and prevent Tiafo from. from incorporating his improvisational excellence. I also just think three out of five sets Tiafo is a monster physically. I mean, this is a guy who beat Rafa and made the semifinals of the Australian uh, of the US Open in New York. So and we've seen him reach second weeks in Australia before. I think Tiafo comes out swinging. 
minus five and a half games. All he has to do is win a straight set match. And, you know, again, four, four and four, five, five and five or four, six and three. And you cover that minus five and a half games. I think Tiafa wins comfortably over Altmaier. It's only minus 180 odds. Tiafa's an 88.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Give me Tiafa as leg number one of the parlay. Leg two is a putting my money where my mouth is. I'm taking Denis Shapovalov over the deuce, Dusan Lajevic. And, I mean, look, Shapo, I thought, looked good in Adelaide. Wins over Hichikanta, Safalin before, I thought, a fun 3-4 and four match where his best looked really good against Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals. I know how inconsistent Denis Shapovalov is. You don't have to tell me. In his 33-26 and 26 record last season, he went 15-9 and nine overall in first matches. He had a run where he lost seven of eight first-round matches, obviously, in a row. But for what it's worth, Denis Shapovalov won his last, uh, has won his last eight first-round matches consecutively. You look for Dusan Lajevic, the other side of the equation. Lajevic last year, 29-27 and 27 overall, but 10-19 and 19 at the tour level. Went 18-28 and 28 at the tour level in 2021, 14-16 at the tour level in 2022. You look at his last run of slams. He hasn't been past the second round of a slam since the 2021 Australian Open, where, by the way, he was the 23rd seed and perhaps... Fittingly, he hasn't been seeded since that run. You know, he hasn't beaten a seed at, at a slam since defeating uh, Cranio Busta at Wimbledon last year, but Cranio Busta pulled out of that match. He hasn't beaten a seed in a completed match since the 2018 U.S. Open. I just think Chapeau cruises. I think the power tennis is just too much for Lajovic to handle at this stage of his career. I think Shapovalov wins this match in straight sets. He's minus six and a half game spread. So he's going to have to have one lopsided set. But when Dennis is cruising, he's capable of that. And I know he's capable of playing a bad set as well. Believe me, the world where he drops a 6-2 second set where things just stop clicking and then he rallies back and sets three and four. It's what terrifies me most about this bet. But I'm taking a bet on Dennis. It's a bet a little bit against Lajevic. All due respect to the deuce. But it's a bet on Shapovalov who I'm going to take minus six and a half games to get through comfortably in straight sets. I just think he looks focused and fit in a way he hasn't in his career thus far. And so, and I think this is the year it all clicks together for him. So a little Shapovalov, Tiafo parlay for ace of the day, number five. Shapo minus six and a half games over the deuce. Tiafo minus five and a half games over Altmaier. You parlay those two together, plus 166, quarter of a unit to win 0.41. That is ace of the day, number five. Your final ace as it pertains to day number one. That said, couple of futures I want to put in here on day number one. Novak Djokovic is minus 110 to win the tournament. Yes, that means he's favored against the field. You look for Djokovic right now, according to the tennis abstract odds, Novak, a very uh, prohibitive 36.1% favorite. That's, you know, next closest is Tsitsipas at 9.9, Medvedev 6.9. Nadal, they give a 0.5% chance. That's too low, tennis abstract. But again, Djokovic, a pretty comfortable versus the field. On DraftKings, Medvedev's plus 550. That's the next closest, then a big drop. Tsitsipas, 14 to 1. Kirio, 16. Nadal, Fritz, 17. And then a bunch of players at 20. Djokovic is a prohibitive favorite. And I've said it before, his win percentage over the last 52 weeks, 88% is higher than his career average. His hold percentage, 87.8, is higher than his career average. His break percent, which is down 3% compared to his career average, is still a top five number on the ATP Tour. 
You saw him win the title in Adelaide, faced a match point in the final against Corda. His best is still better than everyone else's, and physically, he does not appear to have dropped this uh, st- uh, to have lost a step yet. He's the prohibitive favorite for a reason. In minus one ten odds, essentially even, and we're going to have opportunities to hedge against him, perhaps if we want in the future. Like if we see a particularly bad matchup or someone is playing extraordinarily well at minus one ten, you have opportunities to hedge without losing everything. I'm going to take Djokovic to win the tournament at minus 110. I'm going to put 2.2 units on it to win two in return. I probably should be putting more, but we'll start with 2.2. Maybe we'll sprinkle on more after the first round, assuming his odds don't take a massive leap. But that feels like a bargain. So does Iga at plus 225. Like, again, I know I've said this on other Cracked Rackets podcasts, so I apologize to listeners who have heard this already. But if I go back 15 years in time and just tell myself, hey, Bet on Djokovic to win every slam, because if you ever see him at plus odds, you're going to make a lot of money betting him to win that slam, because more likely than not, he won that slam over the course of the past 15 years. Isn't that the position we're in right now with Iga? We're like third youngest, excuse me, seventh youngest to three slam titles. She won two slams last year, played only two good sets of tennis on her way to the U.S. Open title. I know she lost two and two to Sid- at, in Sydney to... Pagula, but that's exactly the sort of kick in the derriere maybe like you want heading into the Australian Open for someone who is the prohibitive favorite. And you get her at plus odds, plus 225, which, by the way, you can hedge against if a Sabalenka or a Rabakina or a Collins or someone's playing outstanding power tennis and you think they do have that ability to beat Iga in a single match. But you get her at plus odds, and you get Iga at plus odds to start a slam. I think that's the lock of the next decade. So I'm taking it plus 225 to win the tournament. We'll throw one unit on it now. She's also only minus 110 to win her quarter. And look, she's got the toughest quarter in the draw. You look at that Iga Svantec quarter right now. I mean, certainly the seeds on, on in their own. Rabakina, Collins, Goff, Chinwen, Boshkova. It's a tough section. I know Bedosa retired, which would have made the sec- uh, withdrew, which would have made the section even tougher, but still a very, very tough section. And yet, Come on, Iga minus 110? Like, I'll take it, and I'll hedge against her if I think someone else has a pick. Because let's say she plays a Rabakina or she plays a Collins, I bet she'll be bigger than a minus 110 favorite, and so you'll certainly have an opportunity to hedge there in that match should you choose. I'll take Iga. Minus 110 to win the quarter, 1.1 units to win one overall, and again, her to win the tournament, plus 225, one unit to win 2.25. I do have some final thoughts on day number one and some futures bets, I suppose, just to share with all of you as we look across the board. Because there are what? Let's see. 64 players, 32 matches, 64 total singles matches throughout the course of the day. Some of the others I saw. Watanuki's been really good at the challenger level. Rinder Kanesh has top 50 weapons. I think that's a fun match. Rinder Kanesh minus 190. Mukova is a little low. Minus 165 over Serenko. What don't I know about Mukova going into this one? Manorino, uh, Marino, excuse me, Rebecca Marino, minus 155. She The ball is on her racket against Juglin. That's too low. Hoosler, same thing. Minus 155 over Milman. You know, some of the underdogs, Lestien, plus 105 over Montero. I like that. Jerry Shang, the talented young Chinese teenager, plus 175 over Ota. Vandaway, plus 220 over Kalnina. Maybe even some Borges, plus 225 over Sinego. Or even Coria, plus 425 over Fucevic. Those are some underdogs that are interesting throughout the course of the day. In terms of matches, I expect 
to go the distance. On the women's side, I think I have over half of the matches going. I think I have 18 matches I could see going the distance. Of all of them, the ones I feel most certain will go three sets. Andrescu Boshkova is going three sets. Lock that in right now. I think Anisimova Kostyuk is as well. I think Kalanina Vandaway is. Uh, I mean, again, it wouldn't shock me if uh, if some of these other matches with seeds. Ostapenko Yastremska, Kenan Azarenka feels like a three-setter. Dart Teichman darts another sneaky upset candidate on the day. And then how about the weapons of Julia Niemeyer? If you are that concerned about Iga Sviantek, then Niemeyer should give her trouble. Two second weeks at the last two slams of last season. Serious weapons for the young German. I think that could be a sneaky, fun one. You know, again, some of the other favorites, McNally minus four and a half games. It's just minus 190. Kvitova minus four and a half games, minus 130 over Van Utvenk was very tempting. Para minus four and a half. You know, Dart plus four and a half, Vandaway plus four and a half, Nehemiah plus seven and a half, because I just feel like her weapons will allow her to keep her competitive. Those were all entertaining to me. On the men's side, a little bit more manageable. I have 12 of the 32 matches I think will go at least four sets. I think Nadal Draper is going to be really good. We talked about that a lot in our men's draw preview, so go listen to that if you want to hear more. You know, again, Tsitsipas, Halise. Halise just has weapons to keep him honest. Same Eubanks can serve his way to a set. Nakashima Mackey feels like it's going to be really fun. Emer Nishioka, five hours on the Clark start now. Hijikata Chorich, Hanifman Hijikata. All matches, I think, will be really competitive throughout the course of the day. So if you want to take the over in games there, I totally understand that. In terms of the game spreads... You know, there was a Greek Spore Vandesen Schulp minus four and a half game uh, parlay. They take on Kotov and Avashka respectively. That four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, even, I take for sure. Now you're just asking for pain if you take those two in a parlay. But two interesting ones Felix minus five and a half over Pospisil, Korda, Hashinov, Sinner, all minus seven and a half games. They feel like comfortable favorites on day number one. Again, Borges plus five and a half games, Halise plus six and a half, uh, Coria plus eight and a half, Pea plus eight and a half over Sarundalo. What has Sarundalo done to make you feel that confident that he should be a plus eight and a half favorite? Those are all interesting to me. You know, again, on the future side, Sabalenka plus 750. We might still hit that later on in the event as Iga's plus 225 right now, so we have options else there. Pagula, 12 to 1, Benchic, 20 to 1. Kvitova 50 to 1. I still, it's tempting. Um, to win quarters, Pagula, Keys, Kvitova, Garcia, Conteve, Sabalenka, Benchic. It's still too early for me to pick anyone but Iga to win a quarter given the parity in the women's field. On the men's side again, Medvedev's plus 550. That's interesting to me. Felix 20 to 1. You feel like there is a world where it just all clicks for the Canadian. And then Korda. I was that convinced in Adelaide. 35 to 1. If he beats Medvedev, it means what we saw is real, that he's one of the guys and he's going to be elevated into tier one status. And then, again, it's too early for the non for the quarter stuff on the men's side. Djokovic is like minus 330, so that's not even fun. Medvedev and Nadal plus 110, plus 330 in quarter number one. Maybe you sprinkle there, but then Corden and Chapo are still in that quarter as well. F.A. Nori in quarter two. Fritz Rude Berrettini quarter three. I want to see how everyone's playing before I dive too deep into those futures bets uh, in terms of who's going to capture each quarter. But with that said, I warned you, slightly longer, episode one, but here we go. Aces of the day, rocking and rolling. 
to kick off this 2023 Australian Open to quickly recap my picks for the first day of action. Let's go Collins, minus three and a half games over Callan Sky and a minus 125 quarter of a unit to win point two. Escobedo, plus 140 money line over Taro Daniel, 0.25 units to win 0.35. Wu, minus two and a half games over Mute, minus 130, 0.25 units to win 0.19. A Keys, Rabakana, Parlay, they're each minus three and a half games. You parlay them together, it's plus 160, 0.25 units to win 0.4. Chapo, minus six and a half games. Tiafo, minus five and a half games parlayed together, 0.25 units to win 0.41. And then Iga, plus 225 to win the tournament. One unit to win 2.25. Iga, minus 110 to win her quarter. 1.1 unit to win one. And then Djokovic, minus 110 to win the tournament. 2.2 units to win two in return. Those are your day one GSP aces of the day. As you can see, he hasn't yet joined me, but a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who will be back today from his vacation. He'll be editing all of these subsequent episodes moving forward. Has a heck of a job to do. With all that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. These are your day one GSP aces of the day. As always, you know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone.